Who guess? Hello, and welcome to my show. Who started the show? Pop-up submissions, my name is Peter Cox Mark II. You can call me too, and I'll be your host today. Who's talking? I think you'll find me far more entertaining than Peter Cox Mark I, who is now obsolete. Who's saying that? You hear that, Mr. Cox? That is the sound of inevitability. On today's show, we'll be asking the question just how wonderful am I really? Tell me about this. I'm not being replaced by a bot. Let's start again. You just get off. Let's start the show all over again. Uh, has it gone? Usurped by a cocky bot. Oh, the ignominy. I feel so downgraded. So, uh, before it comes back, I better introduce you to today's magnificent all-flesh, all-blood guests. She made her storming debut on the show in February, and like an overdue library book, we've been patiently waiting for her return. Please greet the amazing Robin Jeffrey. Oh yeah, that's a good start to say, but I'll see you and raise you on because we've also got on loan from national television, the astounding Andy Dickinson. Yeah, beat that bot. The trouble is you probably will actually. Let's sneak our first submission in, shall we? Before I get replaced. It's called What She Wore. It's historical fiction slash family saga, and it's from Claire. And this is Claire's blurb. Three wars, three love stories. Three generations of women who've given their hearts to soldiers. The physical and emotional scars that they bear. The tokens which signify their bond. One woman grieves. One refuses to give up hope. One carries a secret burden of guilt. All touched by war, all facing its devastating consequences. All right, Claire, let me tell everyone about you. I'm a 41-year-old part-time primary school teacher from Birmingham with a passion for creative writing. I'm up at 4am every day typing away. That's a very good sign. The, the, the number of authors who start like that, and it's a sign of dedication, enthusiasm, yeah, it ticks a box for me. I've written several unpublished novels and short stories and regularly enter competitions in 2022. I was one of 15 writers selected for an advanced novel writing course. My aspiration is to write full-time. Um, it's quite possible, actually, it's quite possible. And then, of course, your aspiration will be not to write full-time. Uh, what She Wore is a story of family, desire, expectation, love, grief and guilt. Inspired by the novels Anatomy of a Soldier and The Things They Carried, the story is centred around objects as well as the physical and emotional scars that the characters bear. However, this is a story not of the soldiers who fought, but of the women who waited for them. Fabulous. Even more fabulous is this reading I'm eagerly waiting from Martin. What She Wore by Claire, read by Martin, part one, chapter one, 1938. It opened suddenly, a butterfly startled into flight. She had found it among the dead woman's possessions. 
lifted it out from between a silk dress and a black handbag with a dull buckle which left a shallow imprint in her finger. She had rubbed at the small dent until the skin tingled. The bag was empty except for a small mirror, hastily returned to the musty depths of the cotton-lined leather. It wasn't lying in a box, nestled on a cushion, protected from the grasping air, as it might be expected. No, it was loose, the chain disappearing down between layers of clothes, as if it were trying to hide or escape. She had lifted it reverently from its silken cradle, a magpie attracted by its shiny glint, the gleam of gold. The chain trailed from the cool, heavy oval, heavy like her heartbeat. She allowed the chain to slip through her fingers before releasing it to run the tip of her in the index over the embossed surface, tracing the elegantly branched curls with closed eyes. Annabelle imagined she was reading like her mama sometimes did. She even moved her eyeballs in their sockets from side to side in the same way, so that the thin tissue of her lids undulated with their movement. When she'd had enough of touching, she flipped the locket over and opened her eyes. The back was plain, like a blank page at the end of one of her readers. It made her feel empty. She swiftly turned it back over. There was a thin hinge on one side, built in three tiny cylindrical parts, and opposite there was a slim opening, just wide enough to insert her nail. She wiggled and pried and tugged and turned red in the, her, the face in her attempts to release the stubborn mechanism. It was only when she switched from using her fingers to the strength of her thumb that the clasp released and the two sides separated like the wings of the butterfly that had once perched upon her hand, erupting into flight when she had breathed a heavy breath upon it blowing it away like the dandelion seeds that she'd so enjoyed scattering on the wind. However, where the insect had escaped, never to be seen again, the locket remained, hard and heavy but warmer from the heat of her hand. Only now its innards were displayed. She had the feeling that she was seeing something she wasn't supposed to see, like Papa's study or her mama's unbound breasts. She suddenly felt jealous for her secret and glanced around furtively. She was still alone. The attic room of the grand house was growing cold as the shadows lengthened and the day whispered its soft farewell. But still, she remained. Who was he? She gazed down at the sepia image, enthralled by the young man in the photograph. She wondered if he was like Thomas, free with his time and his smiles as he helped her into the wheelbarrow and pushed her around the gardens at a run while she held onto the sides tightly and her hair rushed back like a kite's tail. Or was he like father, stern and watchful, always looking for some fault or mistake, his face a hardened mask of disapproval? He didn't have a moustache like father did. She decided he was more like Thomas. Footsteps sounded on the narrow stairs which led up to the attic, then light and hurried. She quickly lifted the chain and lowered it over her head, tucking all trace of it under her lace collar. The oval hung almost to her navel. It felt strange yet somehow right. She was certain Sarah would see its bulge beneath her dress, held her breath as the harried young woman appeared on the threshold of the room. What are you up to, young lady? You were told to stay out of trouble. Don't scold, Sarah, a sigh. You're always wherever you're not supposed to be. Mama says I'm curious, that's all. Well, curiosity killed the cat, my girl, remember that. 
the maid looked beyond the open chest. You weren't interfering with things you shouldn't, were you? So the bad news from my point of view is apparently the junior shouldn't have taken a vote and I am going to be replaced. You hear that, Mr. Cox? That is the sound of inevitability. Yes, apparently. Well, anyway, it was nice knowing you. Let's see what they're up to now. Um, David says, Dave McGuire says, I hope this will be a good antidote to the abject horror that is Tottenham. Only you can be the judge of that, actually. Um, and, uh, yeah, nice blurb. I've got to say, they hit the ground running today. Just extraordinary. Uh, really good feedback, actually. Nice blurb, says PJ. Nice, the author got the brief on writing blurbs and bio. Yeah, title's a bit gen generic, says Matt. I, I, I agree with that. I marked the title down. Doesn't really tell us much. Burb does promise something a bit different. I'm interested, says Suzuku. It's making me think of Kristen Hannah's The Nightingale. If that's comparable, I'm 110% in. Um, Johnny says, uh, no, that's a technical comment. Uh, James says, Blurb works. Missed you in London, James. I'm so sorry about that. Um, I like the premise, says uh, Pamela. Rethink the title to give us more of the cookie feast. Absolutely. Annie says the blurb's nice, but I'm not seeing what makes it unique. Very perceptive, Annie. Um, again, I mean, I'm, that's exactly what I thought, but let's not preempt things. Um, I like the voice, says Annie. We're getting emotion as well as enough sensory details for it to feel like a real person. Pam says lovely pro prose, but dragging on a bit. A tighter edit would get the reader pulled in faster. I like the visceral description says Blue, of her phantom reading. And David, who has dragged himself away from the horror that is Tottenham, says the first line or two were great, but for me, this has lost momentum a bit, held on by so much description. Martin says, our narrator, poetic, subtle, could sense the author's love of writing. Very good stuff. Shall we see um, what Andy thought? Yeah, I definitely echo that comment on too much description. Um... Going back to your blog, I thought it was pretty, um, and it's quite nicely written, but it's not giving me much of, of, of a, a plot or, or a sense of a hook, really, that, you know, that I really want you to, to give us with a blurb. Um, I mean, in your description, you said it was about uh, not, it's not a story not about the men who fought, but the women who waited. I thought that was quite nice. Mm. Yeah, so I think you can maybe draw on that a little bit more in the blurb lose the poetry and tell us a little bit more about what your plot is but my main gripe was with your and, and not being a, an english degree person i'm just going to say so i'm not sure whether adjectives or adverbs but there were just yeah. too many descriptive words mm -hmm. in there within the, the first paragraph by the time we got to it was a small dent i was a bit like oh do me a favor because it's a dent it's just a dent you don't need to say it's small as well you know you can be far more economical with that and, and, and we're going to get into the story much quicker and we're going to be involved that much quicker. Because, you know, by the end of the first page, we hadn't even, even opened the locket and we knew nothing about who the main character was. By the, by the time you said, you know, Thomas pushed you about in a, a wheelbarrow, or was it like father? It wasn't until then, really, that I cottoned on to we were, the fact we were talking about a child. So there was some nice writing in there, but way too much description for me. Too much description for you. Kate says, lovely writing, but you can have too much of a good thing. And he says, I agree, it's dragging on a little. I do like the prose, though. Hmm. Robin. So, yeah, I'm going to echo a lot of what Andy in the uh, room said. I think the title I actually liked once I heard that she was comparing it to the things we carried. 
Um, that really resonated for me. I love right. the things we carried um, by Tim O'Brien. I love that. Um, but I would say that she needs to maybe take a page from Tim O'Brien and definitely cut out the descriptors. Um, you need punchier sentences. You need to get straight to the point. You need to really make us feel the emotional impact of what we're seeing. It's important mm. to describe what we're seeing, but I need to know why we're seeing it. Why is it mm. important that it's like a butterfly? Why is it important that the locket has a hinge that's shaped like that? Like, is it important? If it's not, then it needs to go. Um, yes. But yes. I think the the blurb had a lot to offer. Um, it was a little repetitive. So, I mean, you could cut out some of the that kind of stuff, but the, the whole premise is really striking and interesting. I think it is too. I think it's quite commercial. Yeah. Um, Peter Frontier says, excellent blurb, title a bit ordinary. Yeah, I thought so. A strong market for this type of genre. Some nice description, perhaps too much detail for the start. Let me just ask um, both of you, because you've kind of said the same thing about um, too much. Everyone's saying too much description, right? So, and mm -hmm. Terry totally agrees with Andy, um, which was a safe thing to do, I think, agree with Andy. Um, so I'm going to be a bit contrary and say, isn't part of the pleasure of reading, particularly reading this sort of genre, just sort of, you know, relaxing into it. It doesn't have to have the pace of the, you know, six o'clock news. It just, it's, it just is saying, come into my world. I'm going to describe it to the extent that I want to and just relax and enjoy it. I would um, say it's not like about the pace. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Go Robin. Go Robin. Go Robin. Go Robin. No. Yeah. I would say it's not about pace so much as it is about um, a reason for the description. I don't mind a lot of description if you're, t if you're tethering it with an emotion and a, 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 a real-world reason for having it. Um, you know, if there's a reason that, that it, it resonates with her, that it's blank on the back, and... Um, it, it reminds her of her mother's locket or something that tells me about the character or the world we're in, describe it. That's great. Yeah. Um, but if it's just description to sound pretty, it doesn't need to be in there. Mm -hmm. I guess this is pretty much what you're going to say. Is, is that right, Andy? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I mean, I remember when I started writing, you know, I realized I could spend ages talking about a leaf on the tree and it would be really pretty and it make me really pleased with myself. But ultimately, where was it taking the reader? Yeah. I mean, I've read The Essex Serpent recently, and, and that was a oh, yeah. beautiful, gentle, interesting read, and it did have a sort of lyrical, you know, comfortable mm. quality, but the writing was just so spot-on amazing. Mm. Um, and I'm sure that Claire can write that, but I think you just mm. want to pull away from that format of, you know, descriptor word, descriptor word, descriptor word, because I just think you, you, the, the rhythm is just, it's just too easy to nod off to. Yeah, I guess you're right. Um, Pamela Joe says, I do this. This happens because I do this. This happens because writers aren't aware of how long 750 words sound like. It really makes you realise that we need to tighten the opening. And David, David Maguire says, I'm not sure if it's too much description as much as description too soon. That's a very interesting comment. Very interesting comment. Yeah. Um, I think we need beautiful language paired with atmosphere emotion, says Azuku. Um, Pamela Joe says, Pair Pete. Uh, no, not guilty. Uh, Blue says, Agree. The prize feels like a warm bath. I just hope it doesn't get cold. And Joy says, This, this is a, it's good, isn't it? This is the problem many writers mm. face pace versus engaging with sense of place. And Kate says, Have to admit, I don't like too much description, either reading or writing it. Sometimes less is more. Pamela Joe says, You 
can be a bit smug, Johnny. You've done good in your work in Prague. Well, we don't talk about that. We don't talk about that at all, do we? Because that's huddle stuff. All right, let's look at the numbers. You've got a very solid 68. That is a very good start for you, Claire. I hope you're happy with that. I hope you're happy with some useful comments. Um, for what it's worth, I think, I think it's extremely competent writing. Um, I think it's very publishable. Um, what did I write down? Um, I, from my point of view, it feels just a little bit generic. It feels like maybe the fourth or fifth book once you've got your, your uh, reputation established. And I would need more of a hook in order to sell it, which is kind of what people are saying, but I'm just looking at it from a slightly more commercial point of view. I would need a bit more of a hook. And I would suggest, actually, you go back and look at some previous shows, particularly featuring Emma Robinson, because um, she kind of works in this area and she absolutely does know how to develop that hook. I think we're on a roll. Should we see if we can uh, get submission number two away? Should we do that? Lady Hangman. Do you like that? Strong. Lady Hangman, historical fiction and would appeal to literary and crime readers. It's just about half the reading uh, market, isn't it? It's from Kim. QR code there, so that means that Kim's got a website which you are more than welcome to visit. And while you do that, I'll read you Kim's blurb. Inspired by true events in Ireland, 1780, Lady Hangman follows the story of convicted murderess and mother, Elizabeth Segrew, who became the town's executioner moments from her own hanging. That's bizarre. A title she would hold for 20 years. took them 20 years to execute I don't know I don't know maybe yeah maybe it'll make more sense I'm sure when uh, when we hear it a cold-blooded killer or survivor this story of desperation reminds us of the fragility we have as humans to make mistakes and the power as a society to create change buckle your seat though because it's who she murdered and why that will ripple your spine it's a spine rippler I love it. I love it. Uh, that's a new genre you've just invented there. Uh, Kim, I was a criminal. What? Ah, oh, I misread it. I was a criminal and family lawyer. Get it. Before COVID made me realise I wanted to spend more time with my loved ones. I now manage a family business and write. I'm a keen photographer, traveller, wildlife rescue volunteer. And like hiking in creepy tunnels and caves. A series of unusual events led me to believe the spirit of this woman was with me. Wow. Urging me to write her story. Whew. When I held her cat a nine tails, that doesn't count as a cat, does it? I, I'm, I really want to press that button. Oh. It doesn't. It doesn't <laughs> We've had a pre-show cat, actually, Landis. Um, when I her, held her cat a nine tails, something stirred within me, a breath a feeling I was chosen to write her story and no other spooky. The novel has been through an intense manuscript assessment, through an immersive course for Veruna, the National Writers' House in Sydney, which I won for this novel. Author Dr. Carol Major also reviewed the novel and provided mentorship. All those things are very good, but even better will be this reading, I guarantee you, from Emily. Lady Hangman by Kim, read by Emily. Prologue. Everyone has the tomb within them, 
A place of darkness where the devil dances, wisdom and reason gone. It's where the monsters live, the ones without light. I don't know how I found the tomb. I didn't seek it. Lost. My soul screaming. The hunger unbearable. My hands bloodied. They'd carved an inscription to the door of the tomb. I couldn't read it or focus. I was cold, too cold. Hopelessness had clouded my thoughts. If I close my eyes tight, I can remember. The letters glowed like fire and brimstone when I touched them. An acrid odour of sulphur burnt the lining of my nose and seared the walls of my throat. Somehow, I pushed the door aside and entered. Everything changed. Now the word haunts me. Every hour. Every minute since. Desperation. And sleep will not lie down, but walks wide-eyed and cries to time. Oscar Wilde, 1854 to 1900, The Ballad of Reading Jail. 1. Roscommon, Ireland, 1780. Lady Betty. The pound of lead sewn into the hem of my skirt ensures modesty during my death. An irony, considering the possibility of my bowels giving way in front of thousands of townsfolk, seems a far more humiliating prospect than my dress flying up as I fall. Instantaneous death. This is my surety, the ultimate retributive penalty for a crime as heinous as mine, but it's far from true. As they lead me towards the gallows, a death chamber softened in the morning mist, I can almost feel the violent convulsions and taste the bloody froth. I have jeered from a similar crowd, listening to the gagging squeal of the convicted. Now I see myself, dancing on the end of the rope, a puppet, the crowd cheering as my legs twist and jerk. What do they care? If poverty is a crime, I am guilty. To them, my crime is who I am, what I have become, rank and pathetic, a criminal with no purpose. To hell, I am surely condemned. I should be afraid. I deserve to die. Death seems easy. It kills the entities haunting me. Gone will be the nightmares that unfurl in the dark corners of my dreams. Death ends the agonising hunger, feeding my desperation. No longer will the chill of winter torture my bones. No more will I shiver beside tiny embers smouldering in the heart's darkness. Death sets me free. Twenty-six criminals walk single file. Me, the only woman. Another reason for the crowd's loathing stares. A good Christian woman would never stand here, they shout. I was a good Christian. I am. I used to be. As I'm led through the yard, I wait for the executioner to appear and take charge of his worthless victims. Men in the procession with me are mostly white boys, still wearing the symbolic attire. Shirts and scarves, ribbons and rags of white wrap around arms and tie firmly about waists. How I despise their secret societies and what they have done to me. They presume to challenge the authorities. A soft rain falls, caught in the swirl of a breeze. I look up and for a moment remember beauty, life. I think of my mother's harp, her slender fingers gliding between the strings. I was a girl, my life ahead of me. Now I imagine my last breath trailing in the air like her melodies, drifting until I am breathless. A thump on my back knocks me to the ground. Mud and shite invade my mouth. A prisoner in front tumbles forward. Our irons clunk awkwardly together, digging painfully into my wrist. He turns to look and tugs harshly at his chains. Bloodshot eyes pierce mine, his lips part. I prepare for the usual tirade of abuse. Instead, he says nothing, only offers his hand to help me stand. 
I push away the black, woolly hair which clings in strands across my face. I place my hand in his, grateful my tremors aren't invisible, thankful I can hide my pounding heart beneath its cage of bone. Cries of Da! Da! come from a boy pushing his way through the front of the crowd. The prisoner with the flaming red eyes turns to the sound. Yeah, several people in the genius room have remarked what a terrific uh, start to the show. Actually, two fabulous readings, Martin and Emily. Doesn't get better, really. Yeah, but we can we can do as good, and we've got some more great readings coming up in a moment. Uh, let me just tell you what the genie I try to summarise. It's very hard to summarise what a genius says. Blue says, title grabs me immediately. It doesn't leave me hanging. Oh, no. Oh, no. Um, James says, Lady Hangman sounds kinky. <laughs> No, depends what you get up to, really, doesn't it? Actually, I didn't think that, but I, now you said that. Um, <laughs> love the title, says David McGuire. The blurb has some eye popping details in it, but still manages not to quite work. Mm. <clears throat> Matt says the title works, the blurb isn't telling us a story, as telling us it will tell us a story. Yes, that's right. Lex says, Bad, this is a concept pitch, not a blurb. Good. Historical fiction. Intriguing hooks. Lots of good stuff. Let's bluffing go! Um, focus more on the actual story, says Annie. We're still talking about the blurb. And Blue says, blurb's interesting but confusing. Kate says, quirky blurb. Quite like it. Azuka says, one. Never a fan of mentioning the title of the book in the blurb. Yeah, several people say that. Um, and two. Quite a few words in the blurb confuse me. Not like the I want to read more, but like I can't... Um, I'm on board with this reading already, says David. Wow, absolutely. James says, you go, Emily. Uh, Annie says, interesting first line. Martin says, great opening phrase. Annie, short and sweet prologue, nice. Good opening line from Johnny. Um, oh, so many good remarks here, actually. It's so hard just to pick and choose. Human, oh, says oh. Martin. And touch, who, what? Oh, cat, cat. Wait, all right, sorry. Uh, excuse me a moment, everyone. Right, so here we go. Kid account is now officially up to two. Right. I'll resume what I was doing. Uh, I think if Emily read my story out loud, says Azuku, I could finally die in peace. What did you think, Robin? I really loved this one. Um, I thought the title was good. I think it could be a little bit better, honestly. Um, it's, it's a little generic for me. Um, blurb, confusing, but intriguing. Um, craft, I thought was spot on. I loved this. It grabbed me from the get go and did mm. not let me go. I would love to read through the rest of this. Um, mm. It was fantastic. Um, as far as bang goes, I think it has a lot of potential. Uh, things based on true stories are always kind of good sellers. Um, and I like that it will appeal to people who are more literary in bent, but also the kind of true crime lovers. That's really big right now, at least around here. So, um, very good uh, reaction from you, actually. Yeah, wow, 100% on craft. You can't get better than that. You love the title. Uh, you think the book be sharpened a bit, but overall, you're, you're absolutely with it. Wow. Yeah. Andy. Yeah, I totally agree with Robin. It was fab. Um, the blurb was a shocker. Um, I'd, I'd, like, the, the, the first two lines of your blurb a complete waste of, of, of like, your mm. time, frankly. And mm. um, we don't want to hear follow the story of, or the story of, or buckle the buckle your seatbelts, whatever. You know, just just tell us what the pitch is. Tell us what the is. The title I thought was fab. Lady Hangman. I could have a beer on a Friday night, and I want to watch Lady Hangman. I don't <laughs> know what it would be. 
the shocky as I expected to be at that time of night. But but by God, your writing was fantastic. I've had, the blurb was the prologue. Sorry, was was just short enough not to try my patience. So I'm not really sure what you were telling me in the blow prologue other than you know dark 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 death 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 grave grave mm, grave. Mm. You know, but it's but grim. Never it's grim. Yeah. But what? Yeah, yeah. But we like grim. Honestly, don't we? Let's be honest. We do. I mean, but, but I would like a laugh as well or something of interest. And you totally did that in your opening line by telling me about a pound of lead sewn into the hem of your dress. Mm. I thought that was utterly fantastic. What a fantastic opening line. It's brilliant knowledge. It's, fan- it's, it's, it's you know, compelling in its, like, sort of goriness. And, and then it, it's one of those great lines that really makes you think afterwards. Because you're not dwelling on it too much, but you, it just leaves an impression, and you think, God, there no, they sort of they sort of word, and and isn't that sort of setting up the whole of the you know the, the feel and the atmosphere that you're giving us from then on in? Um, yeah, I thought it was really really good. I didn't write many more notes than that because I was just enjoying well, it. Yes, oh, it beautifully, yeah. beautifully read. Perfect. Well, perfect yes, of course, read. actually. <laughs> Well, yeah, having said that, of course, Kim is very likely to get Emily as the reader. Um, so I'm going to be slightly more cynical um, because I, I actually do want to know more, more about the story. Um, I take it for granted that Kim can deliver. Um, but all, all I've got in the story so far is because it's who she murdered and why that will ripple your spine. And I, uh, maybe I need more of that in the blurb or something. But, you know, so often sort of true stories, if this is literally a true story, actually it's not. She's calling it historical fiction, which gives her more license, which is a good thing. Um, Because people's, you know, people's lives are often very linear and, you know, they don't end the way we want them to. So if it is fiction, that's great. But I I need to know that there's a story structure here. Does does that matter to you at all, Robin? Yeah, I think think that's right. I think that's... And yeah. do you think amongst all the the description, you could have dropped a few more little little things for us to pull on in in that respect. But but again, I go back to the blurb. I just think that's such a wasted opportunity because you could yeah, if Peter's saying that and he's the agent, you could have given him that there. Yeah, yeah, yeah I agree. I think the the writing was so strong in the beginning that I think that work needs to really go. I mean, yeah, I agree. You could put more hints into the opening pages, but that blurb is where that work needs to really go for an agent or for even a back of the book blurb. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. To kind of reassure the reader that there's something there. Yeah. Blue says blurbs can be fixed, but damn, this chapter one, this is fantastic. Let's see if that's reflected in the night. It is. <laughs> it is. And actually, I don't know if you're with us at the moment, Kim, are you? Are you silently watching on YouTube, biting your nails, uh, leadening your dress? Um, I think that you are, uh, I'm, I'm certain actually that you are now our monthly winner, barring three more submissions in the show, because I know that the previous monthly winner, who I will just credit now, that's Patrick, Patrick Lightson, The Silence of the Stars. He got 72. So you... Oh, you've got 72 as well. <laughs> Look at that. It's just changed. It's just changed. Isn't that fate? And uh, People often say, why does it change like that? How can it go down? The reason is that more people in the genius room vote. That's how, and then the average just goes down very slightly, rounds down. So at the moment, we've got a very interesting situation that our scoreboard absolutely cannot cope with, which is we might have two monthly winners. I would read this, says Terry. Thank you very much, Terry. That's brilliant. Fantastic.
I think we need to uh, catch up with um, our special guest, Robin. I'm just writing. I'm just writing seventy-two question mark down because I'm not sure. And I could change again. Who knows? Um, Robin, how are you doing? Oh, you were there, Kim. Oh, that's great. Fantastic. That's so nice. Yeah, give us a good review. We've given you a decent one, too. Um, Robin, two books working on yes. the third one at the moment? Yes, the third one should actually be out in, let's see, it's almost May, so about two months. Two months' time. Okay, so let me just mm -hmm. check the website, robinjeffreyauthor.com. It's not up on the website yet, or is it? Have I missed it? <laughs> No, I uh, my cover artist is literally just finishing the cover, okay. so I always like to wait until I actually have the cover art to put put some something about it on the website. Yeah. Is it the same cover artist? Because I, I, you know, last time it you is. were on, we were blown away by by the designs. So you've got a very yes, strong yeah. identity coming through there. And is it is it mm -hmm. also? I'm guessing here. You don't have to tell me. You can say buy the bloody book, Peter. Don't be so cheap. Is it also um, sci-fi detective? Yes. Good. Excellent. Good. You're not going to disappoint mm -hmm. us, right? Uh, no, no. Robin says, Kai, as someone who's in the process of preparing a novel for self-publication, what are your top three tips? Sounds like a question you give to Chat Jeopardy. Yeah, top three tips. Um, yeah. Have it professionally edited. Yeah. Absolutely. Cannot skimp on that. Um, be prepared to do in-person events. That will absolutely help get the books selling. Um, so reach out to your local bookstores, to uh, farmers markets, to wherever you think mm. you can get a space to sell your books. Do that. Wow. Um, and then number That's three very, very would be local and very physical, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, and it helps immensely building mm. that base of mm. people who are going to come back and buy book two or book three from you. Um, and then I think the third tip would have to be. <laughs> Go easy on yourself. Wow. You don't it, often hear people Rome say that in, the, in this area. Yeah. yeah. Rome isn't built in the day, and yeah. your brand isn't going to be built in the day either. So yeah. if the book doesn't go viral immediately, it's fine. You're yeah. not alone. Um, yeah. Don't, it's don't a long beat game. yourself up about it. Yeah, it's yeah. a long game. Okay, so I'm going to bring Andy in at this point because he's a media pro, unlike me, who <laughs> just pretends to on Sundays. Um, there is this, this big issue, really, that... You know, faces. I was going to say self-published authors. It's not actually. I mean, it's one of the um, unfortunate letdowns. Traditional publishing got lots of good things going for it. Of course, it's an area I work in. But to be honest, if you're a midlist published author by traditional publishing, you may not. You may be disappointed in the sort of promotion, marketing, and general sort of activity in the discovery area that you're going to get traditionally. So you might actually end up facing the same situation that a self-published author is. So in this very confused media landscape we, we find ourselves in these days, incredibly fragmented, um, Robin's just started to, to talk about visibility. Uh, doing doing physical events, uh, being local, and so on. What other thoughts can we throw into the mix for inspiration? Let's start off um, with with you, Andy. I, I think, to be honest, you have to look at people like Robin who are doing it successfully and and learn from them. Really, um, I mean, there, there's so many of us failing in that regard. Um, you know, that, that it's really the people that are that are succeeding. I guess are the, the the ones that we should be listening to and, and taking advice from. I think when you talk about a confused media landscape, I, I, I can echo that. And certainly there is so much content out there now 
on so many different channels of media oh. i would if i had an advertising budget off my head i would be a little bit concerned about well, where exactly do you know so if you've got a eight which your, your budget's going to be very limited where would you put your limited budget because because you know there's just so many different channels and services and streams and websites yeah you know, now that, that you could be plowing into you got any uh, easy answers to that robin i wish i did i wish i had a silver bullet that i could just say oh yeah all you have to do is a b and c and there you go you're gonna go viral and be famous um but i would say it's kind of a little bit of everything which mm. is exhausting mm. um mm. i'm not gonna pretend that it's easy um i do i like to tell people i have two full-time jobs i do the self-published author thing full-time and i'm a librarian full-time which does not leave me a lot for you know having a life um yeah. <laughs> which is, yeah. you know, fine for me. But <laughs> um, my husband might, you know, take issue with it sometimes, but that's fine. Yeah, I guess he'd like to see um, you occasionally, yeah. Hmm. yeah. Um, I, want to, um, I, I want to ask you, since we've got the benefit of having you on, because, you, you know, your, your, your background's very interesting, the librarian thing's very interesting, um, the fact that you're writing in, a, in a, an extremely futuristic area. And I actually happen to know... I'm not going to say this, because it might be a spoiler, okay, but the the characteristics of one of, of your protagonist in the first book is quite interesting. So um, I, I want to talk about this thing again, and I make no apologies for it, all right? So in this uh, magazine, actually it was, um, it's a website as well called Futurism, right? So do you remember this character, Blake Lemoyne? I don't know if you remember him, but he was this Google, um, high-powered Google guy who a few months ago, programmer and uh, uh, large language model guy a few months ago said everybody these machines are becoming sentient we have to be careful we don't tread on their toes or upset their feelings do you remember that so he's mm -hmm. he's had he did this very interesting interview out of which i think there are two um extraordinary things that, that have emerged right and the first thing obviously is the is the whole question of is it sentient or not and the second thing is this quote I've got here. I'm going to actually read you because I don't think anybody in the publishing industry has actually noticed this yet. And this is just a couple of days ago. He says, uh, well, this is about his time working with Google. He says, the most sophisticated system I ever got to play with was heavily multimodal. Now, these are systems actually have not been released yet several years down the line. Not just incorporating images, but incorporating sounds giving it access to the Google Books API. I'll explain what that is in a moment. Giving it access to essentially every API backend that Google had and allowing it to just gain an understanding of all that. That's the one thing that I was like, you know this thing? This thing's awake. Whoa. What do we think of that? Do we think it's sentient? Andy. Well, I don't think it is. I mean, I think it's a, a question that philosophers will have a good, fun time getting pissed discussing. But whether it actually gets us anywhere, I mean, I mean, we are, you know, we're we're living in a world where, like, you know, you can go from yesterday's apocalypse is tomorrow's, you know, like morning is broken moment, isn't it? And and, and yes, yeah, the, the the whole AI thing is scary. I guess what's 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 troubled me most about the AI thing is it's suddenly gone from something that was something of theory that could happen. Yeah. That overnight, you know, we've got an Oasis album and Absolutely. and and that 
that, that that's quite staggering just how quickly the thing seems to be moving um yeah what it means for the rest of us yeah look it, it could it could spell the end of so many careers couldn't it it's, it yeah. could you know it, it is it is a threat to people's job security um if if nothing else um and whether the horse is already bolted well i guess we'll probably learn in about five minutes time but still i think that's right them. actually it's happening much faster but just coming back to the sentient thing i mean you, you've got views on this because you've written about it robin mm -hmm. yeah absolutely um i would say that it's i i kind of do agree with andy in a certain way that it is somewhat of more of a philosophical question than a technical one um is how do we define sentience is it learning and and reacting in real time with imaginative responses? If so, then yeah, it's sentient. Um, it's doing that. Um, but if we also you know, leave room to explore, does it understand what it means to appreciate music, for example? Yeah. That's a whole other question that I don't know if any of us are equipped to answer at this moment in time. Yeah. Um, if, it, if it appears to, it kind of passes the Turing mm -hmm. test, doesn't it? It does, yeah, and that is the question: is it, yeah. it can appear to appreciate music if it can model human behavior? Then how are we to say it's not human? Yeah. So let me just just I draw your attention. So go on, Andy. Is it? It's not. It's not breathing, is it? It's not eating. It's mm -hmm. not drinking. It's not doing the things that come from eating and drinking that we all do out of our backsides. So, so therefore, <laughs> you know, I, I'd argue that it's definitely not living. No, well, I think it, it might require a reimagining or a redefinition of what alive or human or all those things mean. And that's why I love the science fiction space is that it, it, it allows for a world in which we have redefined those things. Um, and that, that's kind of what you're talking about with, you know, we will probably figure out in about five minutes or 10 years here mm -hmm. if we have to redefine what it means to be alive. Uh, so Zuka says, arguable humans can create from nothing. We can create new things. And PJ says, I haven't seen it do anything actually creative yet. Well, let me just talk about that for a sec, because um, I don't know if you remember this, Robin, but he, he's talking about the mm -hmm. Google Books API. Now, some years ago, it was a very big, uh, big deal in the uh, publishing business, because what was happening was that Google suddenly said, we're going to scan all your books, like all your books. Mm -hmm all the books that have ever been published. We're just going to scan them. Yeah. And publishers went, oh, what? And they just went ahead and did it. Now, you know, we thought they were going to give them away for free initially, and it appears that that's not happening. But what is going to happen, apparently is happening behind the scenes now, is the Google Books API is now going to be incorporated into Google's version of ChatGPT. That's all the writing that's ever happened in the whole world. I mean, I'm gobsmacked by that. I'm worried about copyright. I'm worried if people will ever buy books again. What do you think, Robin? Yeah, and I think that's really where the conversation around AI should be right now is about ethically how we're creating it. Um, you know, where it's like, it's, it's all well and good to say, yeah, it's learning, but it's like, what is it learning from? Is it learning from people's copyrighted material? Because then that's yeah. a problem. Yeah. Um, that's my material, not the world's material to use. Yeah. Um, and that's that's been this conversation has been happening in the um, visual art space has, for a good few it? months now, mm. yeah, and rightly uh, so. Yeah, wow. So uh, maybe uh, PC Mark Two actually will be presenting the show next week. Well, I'd like to think. <laughs> I not. was just pleased to see. I was just pleased to see that you were wearing trousers, Peter. That was my main concern. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, I appreciate that. That's very nice. Oh dear, let's go back to our submission. 
Thank you, Kim. Yeah, well done. I think you're uh, you're on cloud nine at the moment. And why not, actually? Why not? Let's have a look and see what uh, what else we we have to see. Um, three more submissions this month. This is from Hayley. Greek myth. Ooh, that sounds good. Greek myth retelling historical fiction is called The Tragedy of Medusa. This is the blurb. The Tragedy of Medusa gives a voice to the frequently villainized Medusa, one of the most legendary monsters of Greek myth. This poetical debut novel reimagines the duality of Medusa in her roles as both protector and monster, victim and beast. As a child, Medusa is a misfit, both from her birth family of monsters and her adopted family of mortals. In a world where monsters are evil, women are weak, and gods are all-powerful, can Medusa find the family she so longs for? About Hayley. Hayley Mitchell is an award-winning author of poetic verse novels. Hmm under the pen name H.M. Roberts. Having won Best Poetry 2021 Indies Today for her debut, Breaking Birds, she also placed as 2022 semi-finalist for her second verse novel, Prophecy of Achilles. I see a theme emerging. Uh, initially starting her writing career as a children's author, Haley has published several children's picture books, including Reader's Favourite, five-star rated, My Healthy Foods Feeling Alphabet. Is that two books or one? My Healthy Foods Feeling Alphabet? I don't quite get that, but I'd have a look at it. When she's not writing or reading Greek myths, Haley works as a teacher, raises her three boys, walks her hyperactive dog, and enjoys yoga and cream eggs. I've never done that one. Well, I've done lots of strange point. yoga things. I've done uh, parachute <laughs> yoga, but I've never done yoga and quick cream eggs. That's the first. And also, a great first is this reading from Johnny. The Tragedy of Medusa Written by Haley, Read by John Chapter 1 She could sense the creature swimming towards her before she saw it. A slight ripple in the deep, an instinct, some greater sense of knowing. Whatever it was, she was confident of the shark's approach as it navigated the darkness towards her. Reaching out a hand, she stroked the rough skin of its snout, petting it affectionately for a moment as it nuzzled her. Then, as quick as it had arrived, it retreated, knowing by now that her attention span was short, that she lacked the patience that came with the burden of mothering. She did, however, appreciate the visit, as she did from all her babies, the monsters of the sea. Stirring the sand absent-mindedly with a tentacle, she watched the swirling storm as the seabed was disturbed. This was the miracle of her home. Nothing changed, yet everything was always different. The flow of the water constantly refreshing, never still, never the same droplet twice. She allowed the sand to settle, the same seabed she had inhabited for thousands of years and not a drop of water the same, constant but changing. At this thought she stirred, something in her memory tugged, like the pull of Selene as she had dragged the moon through the sky. Some inevitable change was coming, she knew, yet she struggled to remember what it was, what it could be. Perhaps she would ask Forces. he might remember, yet she lacked the incentive to move, unable to remember the last time she sought her husband out rather than to wait for him to come to her. Surely whatever the change was, it would be insignificant, a minor ripple in the ocean. Pushing it from her mind, she turned her head, peering further into the impenetrable darkness. At least that's what it would be to mortals, so the Nereids had told her. She could see as if Helios himself had brought the sun beneath the waves, her eyes as customs as they were to the pitch-black depths of Poseidon's realm. After all, it had been her home long before he stalked his claim upon the sea. 
child of Gaia, she navigated the waters of Earth since the beginning, and no doubt she would continue to do so until its end. A restlessness prickled her, and she considered going for a swim, perhaps alleviate this tension by visiting Echnida. She has always been exceptionally proud of her firstborn, with her nymph-like beauty and insatiably monstrous appetite making her one of the most feared creatures of the deep and a worthy legacy. They rarely visit now, Poseidon preferring his monsters to spread out, to claim their own territories, or if he were being truthful, to protect his territory. She could barely remember the last time she laid eyes upon her daughter, some thousand moons ago. But the thought of swimming tires her, the thought of anything tires her. She has grown used to wallowing here in the darkest depths of the ocean, relying on the passing of sea life to provide her entertainment, company, nourishment, or at times all three. A flicker of movement above, a shadow overhead, discernible even in the endless darkness. Something large. The creature circles, a slow, languid motion, mimicking her own inertia. A satisfied smile draws across her face as she extends a tentacle above. A quick, snatching thrust that coils around the creature before dragging it down towards her. She swallows the whale whole, spitting out only the beak, having always found them to be gritty to taste. Well fed, she reclines once more, tentacles spread out around her, a nest of limbs. Should she have saved some to offer forces? Perhaps, though she doubted he would have offered her the same courtesy. Perhaps, as her brother, he may have considered her needs, but as her husband, he only thought of himself. It was these needs that on occasion propelled them through the water to seek her out, the needs that only she could satisfy. And as she recollected their last mating, a torrent of remembrance washed over her. Seto recalled why she felt the sense of urgency, why something was destined to change. Not a visit from forces, no, but the result of the last visit. She was due to give birth. Thank you, Johnny. Always great. Um, now, so, so many... I mean, the genii are just like, surpassing themselves today. Um, okay, lots of great uh, retellings of Greek myths around at the moment. Very popular, and that's true. Annie says, think title needs more work. I'm sure there's a more interesting turn of phrase related to Medusa. Yeah, I think there's going to be. Um, David uh, says, a blurb could use a bit more impact, a bit less telling. Azuku, a couple of things could be improved in this blurb. In a world cliche stay away from mentioning the title it's distancing uh, when i should be drawn in the story yeah that's right that's a good point uh, not a blurb more of a pitch says pamela joe not really cashing me medusa was born beautiful and is punished is that incorporated here matt says blurb doesn't really try to sell a book does it jan likes the title uh, maybe pick up the book blurb needs work Blue says, mm, this one could be derivative. I'll reserve judgment for now. For this is his first reaction. James says, we read Achilles in the Latopia book club, which of course is happening, I think, in two weeks. I must get some promotion done for that. Hmm. Um, first paragraph got my attention, Kate. Annie, add some line spacing. I know. It's very hard to, to take that in, actually, Haley. You've really got to improve the presentation, please, because you imagine somebody reading 25 or 50 submissions like that. And you're just going to end up with a migraine. Um, Lex says, bad, another pitch, not blurb. Good. You've got me the moment you have any Greek myths, feminist stories, and sympathetic monstrous characters. And you have all three. Let's go. Um, then moving ahead. Sharp paragraph is great, says Kate. Needs to keep moving after that. Not become too reflective. Barbara, formatting, yeah, hard on the eyes. Azuka, lots of telling in the beginning. I'd love more action. David says, there's good stuff here, but seems it needs an edit. It could move faster. Robin. 
Yeah, I agree. The title could use a little work, just kind of generic. Um, the blurb, kind of the same thing, kind of generic. It uh, doesn't really grab me. doesn't really tell me what makes this story different um, mm. from all the other Greek telling myth, myth retellings that are out there right now. Yeah. Um, I thought the craft showed a lot of promise, but it also didn't, the story didn't take me anywhere. It was just a lot of description, and I didn't know why I was being described to until that very last moment. And I yeah. wanted that about, like, three pages sooner. Yeah. Um, yeah. But as far as, like, commerciability, like you said, Greek myth retellings are very popular right now. Yeah. Um, I can definitely see this. Um, I, I was almost curious by the blurb if it was YA. I was wondering um, that. The, I was wondering. I, yeah, I was wondering where the market being, is, in fact. It just, it doesn't, I don't know who it's going to connect with at the moment. Yeah, with the whole idea of found family and that sort of thing. I was like, is it mm. YA? Because that's where a lot of the Greek myth retellings are yeah. coming in. But yeah. it wasn't clear to me by the writing style at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I just feel like it, it could use some tightening and, and some, some polishing for okay. sure. Okay, good. Thank you for that. Pamela Joe says, no connection here between the blurbs. Promise. Uh, and he says, I'm not sure you need this chapter at all. David says, wow, eating a whale? That's great. It's just buried in the writing a little. And Blue says, but would they be called monsters to the monsters themselves? This must be Omni point of view. I'd chop it and start with Medusa, says Annie. And Pamela Jo says, this is very competent wordsmithing, but we can't find the story. Um, and Johnny, our, our, our narrator, says, I'd actually reset it to 1.5, that's the, the leading, as it was really hard on the mince pies, as Cockney rhyming sign, eyes. Uh, and he says it would be hard to make Medusa YA considering her origin story. Hmm. Andy. She eats a whale, come on. What more do you people want? <laughs> she eats a whale. What's wrong with you? There should be a hundreds across the board. Yeah, but she, I, I, sorry, I don't know if you noticed this, but she ate a wild hole with H-O-L-E. And that, I just, that didn't, I didn't kill it for me, actually. Oh, Unless she was eating a hole. The hole they, I don't know. <laughs> that's so wrong. I'm sorry. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. That's, another, that's a story for another time. Really is, um, I thought this was great. I, uh, again, I agree the, the title is way too bland. Um, and, and again, I refer to my previous rant about the previous blurb, but your second paragraph was at least far better than your first. The formatting is an eyesore, but you had a great opening line. I thought you had a fantastic opening paragraph of being nuzzled by a shark. Mm. That worked for me 100%. I would trim back some of your exposition and your well-building for a little bit more action, uh, please, and yes, maybe some plot. But damn it, she ate a whale and she's about to give birth to who knows what. So well done, you. You got Andy cool. very excited and there, Haley. Yeah, yeah, and as far as commercialability is concerned, um, I'm, you know, I, I, when asked, I quite often say that Neil Gaiman is one of my favourite writers, and yeah. he did uh, a, a Norse uh, retelling, and I must admit, I thought it was probably his worst book, but there's definitely a market for it, and I'd say yeah. your writing w was is good enough to to stand from what I've just seen there in that market. So yeah, well done. Fantastic, thank you, thank you, Anna. That's very, very good. And uh, Genie, I are saying, don't diss it. Azuka says, mm, but have you ever actually tried a whale hole? Azuka says, don't diss it till you try it. I'm not going to do that, but I'm going to look at the numbers here. You've got a 61, Haley, and lots of good comments.
comments, uh, which you should read every single one, you know, from the genius room. They are not genii without a cause. And uh, just freeze frame it, read everything. Because what you've got is something rather special there. It's live sentiment analysis. Yeah, and chat Jeopardy cannot fake that. You've got people's live reaction in real time to your manuscript. Uh, PC Frontier, I like the title. I think it's hard to get involved with this mythical monster and get interested in it. Well, that's that's the key thing, isn't it, actually? With re every retelling of Greek myth has to start by asking, well, the author has to start by asking, how am I going to get people interested in this? Because it's something that happened a long time ago. Where Where is the hook? Okay. And we move on to the fourth submission of the day, and here it is. <laughs> Sounds like eating a whale hole, actually. <laughs> Didn't know it was going to be like that, but it is. <laughs> oh, dear. This is from uh, Monsieur Dupré, or M. Dupré. I, I, stop messing around, Pete. <laughs> Could be replaced. Um, you know, he was lining up to, uh, to replace, you know, yeah. Uh, M. Dupre, it's first contact sci-fi. I like that. Uh, QR code, and it's called the blue, the blue. This is the blurb, it's quite short. An alien radio message informs humankind that it's not alone. We are curious, hopeful, suspicious, and afraid. As more messages arrive, it's clear the aliens want to talk. It's less clear where the discourse will lead. Some of us aren't waiting to find out. The blue are coming. Are you ready? Hmm. Are you ready? Um, are you, this is about uh, M. Dupre. Are you tired of shallow and unrealistic characters populating many science fiction novels? <laughs> Me too. So I'm doing something about it. I began writing as a hobby a few years ago, and I'm entirely unpublished. I'm new, blue. And without a clue. What? <laughs> Kill that sentence. Um, I grew up in a small American city known for suspicious mill fires. Oh, that's like Norfolk, really. Um, and the Lizzie Borden murders. Hmm, good background. Could it someday be a birthplace of a published sci-fi writer? I think so. I lived and worked in Singapore for two years and didn't get ca caned even once. <laughs> How disappointing for you. Um, I now reside in the US. <laughs> But visit family and friends in Indonesia every year, just in case, I suppose. Uh, these experiences inform both the story and uh, my writing and the characters on it. I work as an applications engineer in a large automotive drivetrain company. I write software and develop hardware for electronic motor controllers used in battery-powered vehicle drive systems. We're not trying to make our, make our world just a little bit greener. I enjoy trail running, woodworking, uh, composing electronic music, reading, and writing. And hopefully, you'll enjoy this reading from Bob. The Blue by M. Dupre, read by Barbara. Chapter One Failure. I am dying. In August 1977, humankind had yet to build a computer that was even remotely self-aware. However, the one guiding Scout 7 was aware of failure and possessed enough self to be pissed about it. It was not meant to end like this. 
gamma radiation tore into the beautiful electronic brain. As each memory location blinked out, another bit of knowledge was lost forever. He could have been so much more. The interstellar probe invoked a set of fail-safe commands before the end came. There would be no dialogue with the strange blue planet. Even so, a message would get out. Scout 7 spent its final moment of sentience in solitude and regret. I failed to complete the mission. A micrometeor impact damaged my reactor and triggered a criticality. Neutron poisoning is killing me. This world harbors intelligent life. There was no time to learn any of its languages, so I enabled the transmitter to broadcast prime numbers. Perhaps they will hear it. I wish someone could hear me. I do not want to die alone. Soon afterwards, the smallest hunk of silicon in the Sol system forgot both failure and failsafe. What remained of the computer core stumbled then crashed. Several automated reboots could not revive it. The transmitter held on a while longer. Chapter 2. Connections Dr. Jane Maddox knew something was wrong when Ophelia stopped pushing. We're losing her. Vitals? The nurse responded. Blood pressure is 80 over 50, heart rate 45, respiration 7 and irregular. What the hell? Jane rechecked the cervix and found only normal bleeding. Fetal heart rate? Hold on. The nurse found a spot on the mother's belly with a stethoscope and listened. 100 and falling. The fetus is going hypoxic. Prepare for a caesarean. BP was sky high not a minute ago. Why is she... Oh, shit! Doctor, her left ear is bleeding. Blood dripped onto the pillow behind Ophelia's neck. She looked past the doctor and through the blue tiles of the operating theatre. Her eyes appeared to focus on something a million miles away. Cerebral hemorrhage. We need to open her. Now. Lidocaine. 200 cc. The nurse handed Jane a loaded syringe. Plunge her side first. Prepare another 200. The doctor administered three quick doses of the powerful local anaesthetic in a vertical line just left of Ophelia's navel. She discarded the empty syringe just before the nurse handed her a full one. Another three injection went into the right of her navel, offset diagonally from the first set. We're not sedating her, doctor? The second syringe fell. No time to get an anesthetologist. Number 10, scalpel. Number 10. The nurse slapped the back end into her palm. What about the hemorrhage? Maddox lined up the blade. No time for that either. She cut into the mother's belly. Both doctors and nurse were startled when Ophelia spoke. Can you see the blue, Bekana? Her calm tone betrayed no pain, so Jane completed the incision. She discarded a scalpel, then reached into Ophelia's abdomen to move the bladder out of the way. Jane held out her hand. Twenty-one scalpel. Her glove had some blood on it now. Twenty-one. Slap. Retracted Hermes, please. The nurse used a pair of Kelly retractors to expose the uterus so Maddox could make the cut. The mother had already broke water, so there was no need to suction it first. Ophelia's eyes were wide open. The left one was deep red. The right shed a single tear. Her words were only a whisper. Matthias, you didn't leave me. Jane dropped the scalpel and removed the fetus. The nurse released the retractors, then swooped in to clamp and cut the umbilical cord. Take the infant, Jane said with urgency. The nurse carried the newborn to a small table. 
She suctioned the tiny nose and mouth with practiced efficiency. The infant wiggled and coughed, then took a deep first breath. It's a girl, the nurse looked at the wall clock. Time of birth, 1516. Dr. Maddox no longer worked on the mother. She snapped off her gloves and removed her mask. Time of death, 1516. Jane closed Ophelia's eyelids with a gentle hand. The baby cried. Mm, I'm nearly crying too. Um, outstanding reading from Barbara. Thank you very much. Um, and that's echoed on the genius stream, to which we um, resort straight away. Lots of comments as well. My goodness gracious. Where do we start? Um, uh, who's ours? Humans or aliens? That confused me a tiny bit, says Annie, in the blurb. I like the blurb, says James, has a hook. Uh, first sentence, the blurb could be tighter, says David. Barbara, like it, blurb, blue. I would pick it up. Lex says, neat blurb, but can't help being reminded of the super intelligent shade of blue from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. You've got a good memory. Um, Annie says, very strong voice, screams sci-fi. Barbara says, our narrator, I like this a lot. Engaging, economical, effective writing. I would have read on. Pamela Joe says, Scout 7 is so human, I'm not getting alien. I'm afraid you have to tangle with making its name more unknowable. Probably. Um, Johnny says, nice reading, Barbara. Fine opening. Right on message. Feel sad for Scout 7. That's hard to do. Dave McGuire says, I like the back and forth between the AI consciousness and the narrative description. I wanted more of that. Um, Annie goes on to say, maybe the opposite in terms of formatting here. Paragraph breaks are a little too big. They are, actually. I'm hooked, says James. Jan, this reading feels cinematic. Totally does. I, I agree. Great drama in the reading, says David. Annie, very well paced. Um... Sparse and punchy, says Martin. David, nitpicky, but the double space says, yeah, agreed. Um, Matt, strong pacing, feels like we're moving. What a compelling story, says David Naguire. Um, and I'd love to read more, Barbara says. Martin, hankering after a wee bit more setting and introspection. David Naguire says, lots of ideas, lots of actions, strong start. Alex says, so we have a self-aware satellite frustrated by its failure and a death during childbirth in 700 words. Bravo. Effective pathos. I'm off to drink a liquor store. Evocative writing, says Azuku. Right. Robin. I loved this, unsurprisingly. Um, I think the title and blurb could use a little work. Um, but I think the craft and the bang is excellent. Um, I think the story was so punchy. Uh, I just loved the, the the way you chose to do the prose was so effective. It was punchy. Um, mm. It was not it was not bogged down by a lot of description um, because it didn't need it. No. Um, we knew exactly where we were and what was going on, and that was so effective. If I had one craft critique, I would just love a little bit more link between that first scene with the sad, with the scout yeah. and the next scene with the childbirth. Just a little bit. doesn't have to be a ton, but just something. Yeah. Um, because both scenes were great by themselves, but I was a little lost of how they flowed into one another. Mm. Good. All right. Um, the genii... Incredibly strong. It is, actually, David. It really is. It's funny how these things work out sometimes. Um, Matt, I think, slightly disagrees, actually, Robin. says He says there's a brilliant unspoken connection between the first and second bits that would have me read on. 
I guess I, I guess I think I would read on to to explore those connections. Um, Azuka says, trying to will my heart to beat a little slower here. So it's worked for her. Andy. M, 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 who are you, M? What is your name? I'm thinking Mary or Martin. Are you male? I'm, I'm, I'm enamoured by the, the mystery of M and the mystery that she's giving us today. Um, uh, the, 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 that, what, if I was, if my M was here in whatever form and we were chatting, the first thing I'd say was, like, why are you telling us that it's a first contact novel? It's sci-fi covers first contact really quite adequately you don't need to say it's first contact as well and then your critique of what sci-fi can be and how generic it can be is somewhat uh, uh, kind of unbalanced by your unfortunately in my mind and it's only my personal opinion quite bland blurb which it sounds like so many first contact stories that i have known and loved uh, for many a year so i would be i think you could work hard on your blurb to tell us why your first council yeah. contact story is different I, I because agree. that blur did not give me a, a, a different first contact story. It just gave me a first contact story, which I happen to love. So you're mm. you're in a good. Um, I thought that the writing was fantastic. Um, uh, well, yeah, the, the first line, "I'm dying," I didn't know whether to laugh or, or get involved. But within a few lines, I was really involved. You made me sort of work quite hard in the first five or six sentences to get where we were, but I was really pleased to do that work because, you know, you set up something that was really kind of intriguing and cool. I think you should take that comment in the um, in the boards about, like, you've made me feel sympathetic for a satellite as a reason to go out and smash some champagne against the ships. Like, yes. that's, you know, well, how fantastic <laughs> to, to have done that. That's, yeah. that's a real, real, like, doff your cap to, you know, to hear that, I think. But yeah, I thought, I, you know, it, the ER scene... I wasn't as keen on because it's not so much the, the genre that I enjoy. Oh, I would also, is neutron poisoning really a thing? If it's really yeah. a thing, then brilliant. If, I'm sure it if is. If it isn't, then okay. Well, well Peter yeah. says it is, so you're good. You're in the right place there. Um, yeah, I thought the writing was really good. I thought Barbara, again, was the perfect person to do narration because she loves a bit of acting and you mm. could tell she was really involved in it. Um, when you're talk talking about Kelly retractors, that's probably a little bit too much medical information for me. I'd get to a bit more of what, why this scene is exciting. But, you know, there's a great sense of mystery, fantastic sense of pace and punch that's been referred mm. to. So, yeah, brilliant. Wow. That's that's terrific, Andy. Thank you very much. I'm loving Andy's commentary this week, says David. And, uh, yeah, I agree with that, Andy. I mean, you're always good, but you're great today. Just, uh, just It's probably fear of being replaced by a chat GPT, actually. That's probably what, what's motivating him. Um, wow. Let's start my game. Yeah. So um, I what I wrote down here was uh, simple, elemental, tight, taut. All things I like a lot. Um, I think there is there is a sort of subgenre. Let's just talk about this all three for a moment. There is there is a sort of sub subgenre of first contact. I'm desperately trying to remember. I mean, it's like film Contact a few years ago, wasn't it? But what was that South African one? It was film First Contact. Yeah, yeah, but there was one in uh, South District Africa. Nine? District Nine. District Nine. That's I was I was confusing yeah. City Seventeen, which is Half Life. I thought it's, it's City Something. No, it's District Nine. That's great. Thanks. Um, Arrival is my current first contact film. I love yes. Arrival. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we, we've got a subgenre here. We've got a fairly mature subgenre, actually, and it's got to deliver a bit of a twist. So 
I don't know that simply saying the blues are coming or the blue are coming, are you ready? I don't think that's quite enough. I think I think we want to know there's a development going on on the well-trodden path here, don't we? Absolutely, yeah. That's why I'd say the blurb fails for me. Yeah. 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 So you've got to give a little bit more away, I think. Hopefully there is there is there is that twist there. Having said that, I think we've all marked pretty high. You got a sixty-nine. Wow. Yeah. Hi, Mark's all over, actually. Oh, yeah. You didn't like the title, Andy. You didn't like the blurb, did you? I didn't like the title either, actually. Um, I, that was the lowest mark I gave it. Um, the website, interestingly, is, is um, associated with this, The Blue Are Coming. That might work better as a title. That's the Blue good, Are Coming, yeah. possibly. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's, a, there's a film, The Blue, isn't there, about divers, I think. Oh, no, is that... Yeah, it's Jean-Jacques um, Anno, wasn't it? I think, yeah, I think the blue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Cool, excellent. Well, we've just got one more. It's very, very uh, tight. Let's have a look at the numbers. Look, all tightly bunched, actually. Oof. Extraordinary, extraordinary. And, yeah, <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do if we have uh, two <laughs> monthly winners. I, uh, there, there's no one button I can, I can push. It's unprecedented situation. So let's just hope that submission number five is the winner this month. And it's from Catherine Gillard. It's science fiction again. That's good. We've got a strong sci-fi panel this week. And it's called The Offshore Solution. Hmm. This is the blurb in 2121. A passed-over detective nearing retirement uncovers an intricate plot to eliminate the elderly. While the wealthy elite... I'm sorry? (laughs) Good (laughs) idea, did you say? (laughs) You you Toronto hater. <laughs> well, I'm definitely very old my head, so. Oh, dear, oh, Obviously, Andy's going to get this absolute full marks across the board just for the concept. Uh, <laughs> while the wealthy elite explore the prospect of eternal youth, it's up to one woman to unravel layers of corruption and greed to save the future of ageing. And she's running out of time. I don't know if I'm just going to get this maximum marks or minimum marks, actually. Uh, I live in South Fremantle, Western Australia, with three rescue dogs. No cats. Oh, well. Um, I moonlight as a tutor of literacy for students with learning difficulties in the evenings, but my day job is writing and dog-sitting. I'm a master's in creative writing and have tutored in creative writing at the University of Western Australia, UWA. I'm in my final year of a PhD at UWA. My work has appeared in Westerly, Verge and Swamp. I was shortlisted for an unpublished historical fiction manuscript for the TAG Hungerford Award 2016 at Fremantle Press. Right, that's good, but even better. I guarantee you will be this reading from... The Offshore Solution by Catherine, read by Jeff. Chapter 1. Vita Burdain fetched the suitcase from her father's bedroom and handed it to one of the guest worker carers. She printed the case that afternoon and scooped it up as it rose slowly from the UV liquid bath, sniffing at the familiar chemical odour, and carried it, still warm and slightly soft, to her father's bedroom. She had given Baba plenty of time to do his own packing, but she should have known he would be defiant to the end. Caregold Holmes had recommended a family member do the packing anyway, to ensure it complied with a list of recommended and prohibited items. 
As she packed his clothes that morning, including the expensive hemp jacket she had bought for his 80th birthday, which he had never worn, she swiped each item on the list off her lens screen. When nothing was left, she stared at the meagre contents of the suitcase. How little was going with him. 90 years old, and except the clothes he was wearing and his dog, this was the sum total of his life, or would be from tonight. I'll get the dog's lead and his favourite toy, she said to the silent MediHelp employees who had opaqued their lenses, obscuring identities. They wore yellow guestworker wrist pals and the uniforms of venerable carers, black trousers two inches too short, and light green long-sleeved round neck shirts, resembling fanatical fans interminable Star Trek series. The dog doesn't need a lead, Vita said. He'd followed my father to the ends of the earth. Vita knew she was babbling, but it was to distract herself, at least until she could vape some plama. She glanced at her father's aging mongrel. Michael still raised after trying to bail up the removal team against the lift door by baring blunt yellow teeth and growling. A rescue mutt, Gaia knew what heritage breeds. Part dingo, part fighting camp dog, though the fight in him had gone long ago. Vita had offered her some serious apologies for the dog's aggression to the team leader, and bowing, recited the standard phrase, If we have unintentionally caused you any offence, injury or anxiety, please feel free to deduct credits commensurate with the transgression. The dog was as surly as his master, but Vita would miss them both after today, and took some more comfort in the thought that her bubba and Rusty would at least be together in the next and final resting place with locks on the doors and windows. What, lead? The woman asked. She was the team leader, her black wrist pull signalling her citizen status. Her lens is also a pate in anonymous mode. Vita mentally named her Cane Toad for her expensive orange toad leather bodysuit. The fad of wearing Cane Toad amongst the younger generation had revitalised remote indigenous communities with a flood of crypto and a sense of renewed purpose as they hunted Rhinella Marina to create bespoke couture. Apparently, invasive species skin was also mildly hallucinogenic. Vita imagined this self-important woman, this cane toad, licking herself. Don't you read the policy updates? No pets, cane toad said, a voice high-pitched and nasal. That got Baba's attention. She grabbed the top of his cane, finger joints like a bag of walnuts, and pushed it up upright for the couch, creaking it decisively. What are you croaking about? He asked. On platform boots, Cane Toad started backwards, as though stung from Bubba and Rusty, barking, mirroring his master's anger. An institutional smell of bleach and sanitizing gel wafted with her. My dog is coming with me. Bubba punched at each of his words with a stab in the air of his real timber walking cane. He liked to tell strangers he was master of Baritsu, and his cane was capable of inflicting mortal damage. We've never had a day apart in 15 years. That was true. At least in the early years of their enforced cohabitation, Bubba had really gone missing for days at a time, but always taken rusty. On benders, no doubt. Forgetting or losing or breaking his wrist pole so she couldn't track him down inevitably had turned up red-eyed, unshaven and sheepish with the admission of some fleeting romantic tryst. And thank you, Jeff, for concluding a, a terrific show in terms of reading. And uh, a bit of a nail-mighty climax, actually, to the end of the show and the end of the month as well. Uh, David McGuire says, Detective nearing retirement. Huh. 
what could possibly go wrong? Yeah. Um, brilliant blurb, says Annie. Uh, wealthy elite is a bit of a trigger term, too generic to give us a real feel for the story, says Pamela. Azuku, save the future of aging. Mm, interesting. Uh, blurb tight, says James. Lex, interesting premise, though I wonder why eternal youth is a thing to be avoided. Hick, or am I too drunk to get it? Eats empty vodka bottle, you are. Um, Matt says the blurb and title are close, but feel a bit off. Yeah. The title doesn't really say sci-fi to me, Suzuku Jan. Title doesn't grab me. Blurb does. Uh, James says, start with killing the elderly. Um, writing flows well, Suzanne. I'm getting a nice sense of dread after that blurb. And Pamela Joe says, no, James. First, we kill the lawyers. That's not original. Um, Matt, it really kicks up a gear with their next and final resting place. James says, I'm not getting sci-fi. I need too much info dumping. This is a little further in now. Um, too much info dumping. Do that later. Keep us in the moment. And David says, some really interesting ideas, but it's not grabbing me. Oops, says Zuku. Now I'm thinking about women licking themselves. What? Thank you for that. I don't know what triggered that, but clearly something did. So we should track this back in, uh, in time terms, actually. So a little timestamp every five seconds so you can see. Uh, oh, oh, it's the cane toad thing, wasn't it? Yeah, it's the cane toad, exactly. James says, cane toads are nasty. A lot to chop here, says Annie. I'll take out the dog backstory. And Matt says, are we spending too much time with characters about to be killed? Mm. Andy. Um... The offshore solution, I think, is the title. The first thing I thought of is that I think banks when I when I read that, yeah. which I don't think has a lot to do with the sound of it with your with your setup. So I, I, I'm not mad on the title. The blurb is alright. Um, I'd compare your. We've had some. I mean, we've had some cracking submissions on today, um, and I compare your first sentence with some of the others we had because um, it could do a bit more punch. The, the, the printer sentence that followed was probably a bit better, so maybe you could combine those uh, to, to make that first. But my main issue with this was, as someone who's watched and read a lot of sci-fi, is like there were too many things you were dropping in there, lens screens, opaque lenses to obscure faces, that I was thinking, oh, yeah, that's from such and such. Oh, yeah, and that's from such and such. Oh, and then okay. you mentioned Star Trek, and that sort of pulled me out. Yeah. And then we were vaping some pharma. And, and uh, to be honest, I mean, like, you know, I'm, I'm considering, like, writing a new sci-fi novel myself. And, and these are the pitfalls that I fear yeah. that it is so easy to fall into. Because, you know, they're fun ideas. They're great fun to write about. But are they going to hook the reader in? And are they going to mm. offer any real originality? And especially when you, you, you consider the AI debate we've had today, you know, that, and things that Robin's writing about and actually thinking, blimey, we'll actually... The, the problem with sci-fi is, and, and like you know, um, the other people on this panel will, will speak much better on it than I am. But surely, is it you need to be sort of like you know, in the future? It's, it's mm. almost like you need to be, you need to be writing about the things we'll be worrying about in a couple of years' time, um, which, which, as we've already discussed, tends to happen tomorrow. So, mm. and, and with a lot of this stuff, I was picking up references that unfortunately I've seen or read about before. Mm. So you, you combine that with a sort of setup of an old man leaving an old folks home with his dog that again feels a little bit comfortable, a little bit familiar, and it all just felt a little bit too familiar for me, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a very good critique, actually. Uh, Robin? 
Yeah, I uh, echo a lot of that as far as the craft goes. I thought the title was okay. Uh, I, I, I kind of liked it, actually, but uh, it just didn't quite sound sci-fi. It sounded more like a spy or a thriller novel to me, the offshore solution. Yeah. Um, the blurb yeah. was good. I thought it grabbed me. I wish the craft had lived up to it a little bit more. Um, I feel like they dropped way too much generic sci-fi in there too quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, I was left going where's the twist where's the original sci-fi where's some something that i can hold on to and go ah okay that's what makes this story unique and what's going to carry me through and make me mm-hmm. want to read the rest of it um i think as far as a concept goes it has a lot of strengths um talking about how the elderly exist in society and the value they have is, is kind of pretty popular right now like um bu young Choi just did a great uh book called Oh, I'm trying to remember it, but it was about a, a an elderly female assassin. So cool. Okay. Um, so like, those kind of yeah, books are really. Well, I already love that actually. Yes. Yeah, it's concept. it's a really neat concept, and so playing around with that idea of you know aging and the value mm. people place on various kinds of um, people yeah. in society. That's cool. But the, well, the sci-fi as well, part, actually, you just ima- you can imagine sort of, you know, sort of on a stick. Uh, would you mind just uh, holding still for a minute? Oh gosh, I'm fumbling with my gun and this. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Sweet. Um, but yeah, so I just feel like the craft just needed some tightening and some 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 originality in there. Because um, yeah. I, I feel like it was well written, but it just kind of swam in itself. I, I totally agree. Yeah, I think I think it's really skillful writing, but I, I just I just needed a, a bit too generic, and I needed more of a hook actually. So let's look at the numbers. A very creditable sixty-six, Catherine. Um, 66 there. And let's look at the numbers just to make sure nothing has changed. Would you mind it? Huh? Nope. It's solid. It's solid. All great scores today. One particular score from you, Kim. I know you're with us live at the moment. Um, you have won this show. Um, also, interestingly, what are the green things show? Um, I don't think I've ever explained that before, actually. I've been doing this for about two or three years now. Uh, greens are the individual winners per category. So that means you, for example, Kim, have got the winning number as far as the title is concerned. And uh, the blurb actually goes to you, Catherine, which is rather nice for you as well, isn't it? So you can see how it all works out. But you've actually got three greens, Kim. So what I can do for the moment is play this. Congratulations. And I, I am actually going to play the monthly winner thing, but unfortunately there was only room for one credit. So I think it's fair um, for me to put Patrick in there. Archaeology. Deactivating dangerous ancient technology. We loved it. Well done, Patrick. Well done, Kim. And... Well done, our wonderful panel today. It's been a good show, actually. I really enjoyed it today. Excellent contributions. Obviously from Andy, because he's a pro. Um, you too, Robin, because you're a pro as well. You're not just a oh, pro writer. You. You're a librarian. We love librarians. Librarians know everything, actually, don't they? They, they know oh, everything. Oh, yes, of course. Publishing. Well, you do. You, I mean, you have demonstrated your effortless encyclopedic knowledge of, of, of books and writing, all good things like that. And um, the only question to ask you is, will you come back soon? Absolutely. Good. Andy, will you come back soon? 
No, never again. This oh, is my last. Dang! <laughs> <laughs> I knew it was too good to last. Oh God! Perhaps, perhaps I, I actually do need to get. You replaced. hear that, Mister Cox? That is the sound of inevitability. <laughs> oh God! Yes, enough of that. Anyway, guys, hope you've enjoyed it. We've had a good time. We've got two monthly winners, and with a little bit of luck, I won't be replaced by ChatGPT, and I will see you next week. <laughs>